0: Happy Sabbath. This morning we're privileged to have with us a a member in our community, Pastor Carmona serves at the Bethel Seventh-day Adventist Church, which is just just down the street, and amen to that, that we get the chance to hear from him today, and we pray for him in a very special way, just a little bit about him. He's an islander like myself. Um, He is from Puerto Rico, and that's where he spent most of his childhood, and he is. Um, married to his lovely wife, uh, Dana. I, I met her this morning, and I, I don't know your tradition. I tend to point out my wife, but I, I don't want to get in trouble this morning. So um, they have three, three children, uh, three beautiful daughters, Keila, uh, Raquel, and Victoria, Victoria, and one granddaughter. Yes. So that's a, that's a huge blessing. And so he serves currently at the Bethel Seventh-day Adventist Church and also at the Summit SDA Church in Jackson, Michigan. And he enjoys uh, proclaiming the grace of God wherever he is called to do so. He believes that we can uh, have transformed lives only as a result of dying to self and letting Christ move in permanently, amen? His favorite verse is Galatians 2.20, which most of us have in our hearts. We memorize this text, it's a lovely one. I am crucified with Christ, Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So we're looking at a man who has been crucified with Christ, nevertheless he lives, and we pray that Jesus Christ may be preached today. We're so thankful that you came and came and decided to give us the message, and we pray for you in a very special way. Thank you so much, Pastor Carmona.
1: Well, good morning, saints of God. I'm so glad to be with you here today. And um, before we get started, we wanted to seek the Lord in prayer. And so if you can, if you are near somebody, I always like to pray, and I invite the congregation to just touch and agree. And so if you are near someone, if you wouldn't mind just reaching out, and connecting with someone. I believe that when we get to heaven, that we are going to be connected because we have been connecting all the way in the journey from earth to heaven, amen? And so since we're gonna be connecting, why not not do it together? Let's pray together. If you will just reach out if you can and hold someone's hand now as together, we pray. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. Our Father in heaven, God, we thank you for the total sufficiency of Jesus Christ. And we thank you, God, for how good you have been to bring us here to this sacred place and this sacred place one more time. And, O God, I pray that your Holy Spirit will manifest himself in our midst and that you will touch someone's life today, O God. I pray that you would hide me behind the cross of Calvary, that you would speak to me and through me and for me. And may the words of my mouth And the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. And we're asking this in the matchless name of Jesus. Let all of God's people say, Amen Amen. and Amen. Well, if you can't tell somebody, I'm glad you're alive today. (laughs) Amen, Amen, Amen. Be glad to be living. Well, Jesus Christ is my personal Lord and Savior. I'm so excited to be here with us today. We wanted to acknowledge Pastor Silva, the leader and the angel of this beautiful house. Uh, I appreciate him very much and his Holy Spirit-filled ministry and calling. He is my friend, and every time that I speak with Pastor Silva, he warms my heart with his authenticity and his spirit of community. And I was very humbled for his gracious invitation to have me speak here in his pulpit. I was also glad to meet your pastor, your associate pastor, Pastor Jermaine Gale, a man of God, and he's a dynamic speaker and a teacher. I learned some things from him this morning, so we appreciate you. We're going to have to have you come by and preach the word at Bethel sometime when you have an opportunity. And also Pastor Park, we want to thank you for your ministry as well. Keep holding up the hands of the pastors at U-Church. Amen, somebody? The Lord will bless the church of those people who lift up the hands of the pastor and to your church leadership and families who minister here in this house of worship, who make up the messengers of the gospel of Jesus Christ and his blood-washed army. I am honored to be among you today on this gorgeous Sabbath day. Would you say amen? amen? We greet you in the name of Jesus Christ and also to our guests who are joining us online. And of course, I always offer a special greeting Uh, To my beloved wife who is here with me today, Elder Dana Carmona, I'm going to have her stand up. This is something that I do uh, so that the saints will know that I am not alone and that she's with me. We appreciate you and your ministry and your amazing preaching ministry. She's an evangelist. She's the real thing. If you ever need somebody to preach, call an Elder Dana. I'm so glad to see that our church is filled with families today. What about you? You know, the enemy of God hates Christian families. They are special targets of the enemy and he seeks to keep them under constant pressure and duress that is real. But even through all of that pressure, as you can attest to, God creates overcomers under pressure. Can you say amen? Well, I invite you to labor with me today as we attempt to extract relevant water from the scriptures for what it means for our families to be more than conquerors, to be overcomers under pressure, which is the title of my message today. So I want to call your attention to the prophetic voice from the book of Revelation and to an experience that I had as a boy, as we labor to weave this narrative experience, which I believe to be relevant to our sermonic discussion today. The book of Revelation was written to a people whose lives were under constant and relenting pressure. New Testament believers were faced with the reality that Christianity was not yet a legitimate religion. Their joyous worship of Jesus could expose them to Roman authorities. To worship Jesus was to risk becoming an enemy of the state. And in addition to the pressures from the state, there were pressures from within their own ranks, not just false teachers or theological disputing, You see, neighbors or even family members could be induced to betray them by surrendering their names to be practicing Christians. This kept the pressures fresh and continuous before them. And it is in the context of this pressure and compression that we hear the encouragement from Jesus arising from Revelation chapter 21, verse 7, where he says, he who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. I had an experience when I was about 10 years old or so that I'd like to share with us today. Growing up in the summertime in our church, in the Seventh-day Adventist church, we'd have recreational days on Sundays when the church would get together and go to the park, and we would spend a lot of time playing together. I believe that Churches that pray together and stay together and play together grow in the Lord, amen? So we played together and the families would always prepare delicious summer foods. And of course, we'd play softball because it was a Hispanic church. Well, I was always tall for my age. So even as a 10-year-old, I looked older than I really was. and. So this one day, it was a Sunday, the churchmen asked me to join their softball team uh, to play a game of softball. And I went along with them, and I think that the brothers thought that since my dad was amazing at softball, that this trait had somehow made its way through my DNA and that as a 10-year-old, simply on the basis of my last name and my genetics, that I also could hit a softball over 300 feet. Boy, were they in for a big surprise. So the game got started, and it was my turn up to bat, and I had been feeling the pressure inside. I was exquisitely nervous because I had a good understanding of my developing skills at bat. So I walked up to the plate, and that's when I heard the comments people were making. This is Carmona's son coming up to bat. Come on, little Carmona. Come on, do just like your dad does. And I said, oh, let me focus, let me focus. They all laughed and they said, oh, he's just being humble. You'll see. But inside, the pressure was mounting. I was a bundle of nerves. I knew that I was in over my head. I looked at the pitcher, and he had these thick, huge, hairy forearms. He looked like a beast. And the question was, would I have victory over the beast? Would I be able to overcome this fiery trial? The first pitch came at me, and my 10-year-old swell eye swung and I missed. The umpire yelled out, strike one. Whoa, the people said. This was not helping. The second pitch came. I swung at the pitch and missed again. Strike two. Now, you realize, for those of us who know a little bit about baseball and softball, that after three strikes, you're out. So soon it was time for the next pitch. I let it go by, and then the next one too, and I saw the next one and went for it. I swung with all my might and missed. Strike three, you're out. Oh, the people said. I hung my head and went back with the team. Overwhelmed, the pressure didn't go away. The brethren tried to encourage me. Hang in there, little man. I had no words. The game went on for what seemed like hours. It was only 30 minutes. Finally, the game ended we went to eat. Everybody went home at the end of the day. Our family stayed back at the park. And my dad said to me, son, come here for a moment. And then my dad started talking with me about softball. He started revealing the secrets of softball. He said, Dan, when you hold the bat, don't don't hold it so tightly. lower, Lower your hands a bit and then don't Don't stand up so straight. bend your knees a little bit. That's it. Bring the bat lower. And over the next few weeks, he he spent time with me. He bought some extra softballs, and and he would pitch them at me easily at first, and then faster as time went by. I started hitting some, and, and then more. I learned to watch the ball and anticipate where it would be. My dad took time to coach me. And I started feeling better about softball. And I was glad to know that he was interested in how I did at softball. Hmm. And a few weeks later, the church was back out to the park for another family outing and, of course, another game of softball. It was time to choose teams. Eventually, I got chosen to be on one of the teams. The game started. It was my turn up to bat, but there was something different about this young man walking up to the plate this time. Somewhere in the background, people made some comments about the last game, but while he was coaching me, my father had anticipated this very thing, and he revealed to me how I should handle the crowd. Uh, He said, Uh, People will always talk, Dan, you just do what I tell you to do. So I just replayed that in my head. People will always talk, I'm going to do what my father tells me to do. So now I was standing at the plate differently. I even had a little bounce in my stance when I was standing there at home plate. And whom do you think was pitching again on this Sunday? It was the beast, that's right, The first pitch came high and to the right. I let it go. I wasn't just going to go after anything. Plus, my father had taught me, if it's not for you, don't go after it. Uh, The second pitch was too low, so I let that one go, too. The next pitch had my name written all over it. Daniel Alberto Calmon Alonso Salaman. Come on, somebody. I watched it loop over home plate. I swung, and I hit that ball. Base hit into left center field, come on. The crowd went crazy. I hit the ball and I ran like the wind can blow. I was ready to run all around all the bases and keep running, but the coach at first base said, slow down, you only hit it hard enough to get to first base. The crowd was excited. Everyone was cheering. I stood on that base so proud. And even though everyone was screaming in support, there was only one person that I was looking for in the crowd. And who could that be? My dad. I wanted to connect with my father because my father understood me. I wanted to see him. I started looking for him in the crowd and discovered that dad was the one cheering the loudest. That's that's who was making all the noise. It was dad. I never knew that he could jump that high. And it looked, it looked like he was bragging on me to the people who were next to him. I looked over at the picture, and the picture wasn't looking very happy, church family. And it made me think about Revelation 15 too, where John gives us a picture of pure victory. And he says, and I saw something like a sea of glass, mingled with fire and those who have the victory over the beast, over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having the harps of God, They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of Saints. O family, church, God wants you to win. Can you say amen with me today? And our Heavenly Father helps us to win. I came today in the name of the Lord to remind us that there is still Power in the blood of the Lamb for us to overcome. Power to triumph, to conquer. I love the book of Revelation. You see, the first five words of the book are the revelation of Jesus Christ. The book reveals things about Jesus by Jesus. Reveals things that were not previously known about Jesus. Things revealed after his resurrection. After he had declared that all power in heaven and on earth is given unto me. It was written for a people who were experiencing loss and persecution and overwhelming pressure. This message is just what they would have needed. And I have a suspicion that there might be someone here today who is under daunting pressure. Someone who was being compressed from sides that you didn't know existed. And the pressure continues and continues. After I hit that base hit as a child on the first base, I walked around the park for the rest of the day with a little strut in my step. I walked around like I had pulled a hamstring. My hamstring was fine. It was my privilege. There are privileges that come with being an overcomer. Did you know that the Bible teaches that overcomers get special privileges and that Jesus himself promises to give those privileges? Seven times in the book of Revelation, through each of the seven churches, Jesus promised special privileges, but only to those who overcome. To the church at Ephesus, Jesus said, to him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, Revelation 2.7. To the church at Smyrna, Jesus said, be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death, To the church at Pergamum, Jesus promised, to him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. To the church at Thyatira, Jesus promised, to he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations, and I will give him the morning star. To the church at Sardis, Jesus promised, to he who overcomes, he shall be clothed in white garments. I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. To the church at Philadelphia, Jesus promised, to he who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and I will write on him the name of my God, and I will write on him my new name. To the church at Laodicea, Jesus promised, to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, As I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne, the rewards for the victorious are striking access to the tree of life, security against the second death, admission into heaven, intimacy with Jesus, participation in Christ's victory over Satan, wearing white robes with Jesus, having one's name remain on the lamb's list. Having Jesus speak on your behalf before the Father and his angels. Having stability and security in the very presence of God. Having identity with Jesus as a fellow overcomer. Having the privilege of reigning with Jesus forever. Being an overcomer has its privileges. Don't you want to be an overcomer? But church, what does it mean to overcome? What does it mean? And what are we supposed to overcome More importantly, in the midst of this pressure, how? How do we overcome now? To answer these questions, I would like to submit these four points from the Word of God. First, from this scripture, are you his child? First point of four points. First, are you his child? If you are his child, then hear him and follow Jesus. Revelation 21.7 says, He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. You see, if you review my experience as a child on the softball field, the victory was more about my father than it was about me. See, he was the one who was coaching me. He had the experience on how to make overcoming a reality. He wanted me to overcome more than I wanted to overcome. The fundamental reason for his commitment was that I was his child. As his child, he was going to do everything in his power to prevent the pressure from crushing me because I was his child. So the question is, are we his children? If yes, we should hear and follow him. Even if the crowd is saying one thing, Jesus is saying, just do what my father is telling you to do. Once I struck out on that softball field, my dad knew that this was the main thing happening in my 10-year-old life at that time. God knows what you are going through today. God understands what you are going through and what you're suffering through right now. Don't you think that he knows what's been happening to you? Don't you think that he knows what you've been going through? The problems that you're facing, the things that you may not be able to, to admit or even speak about. He wants us to have victory now in those areas of life that we are struggling with now. And if we will hear him now, he wants to help us. What does he want us to overcome? The everyday, daily struggles. Areas where we think that we've struck out. Remember, he is a champion. He knows what we need. He understands how we feel, our habits, our attitudes, our choices, our values, our behavior. In other words, our character and how it's been developing. Christ longs for us to be victorious in those spiritual and moral realities. Whenever we face pressure in relationships, in temptations, in fear, or moral compromise, he wants us to be overcomers if we will hear him. Now we must mention that not everyone is interested in hearing his voice and to those who don't we should say that they are not included in the victory cer- circle at the end of all things revelation 21:8 says the next verse but the cowardly the unbelieving the abominable murderers the sexually immoral sorcerers idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone which is the second death such solemn warnings some don't make it into the holy city. The word encourages us as readers and hearers to examine our lives. Those on the roster of outcasts and outsiders have refused to hear, have not followed Christ and therefore have been overcome by their fears or unbelief or idolatry, their unholy sexual passions, their hatred, their fascination with magic, and the occult, or overcome by their passion for lying and loving to to lie. But this does not have to be our narrative today. What does it mean? It means that as children of the king, whoever hears and follows Jesus, Holy Ghost power is available in copious measures to overcome. Are you his child? If yes, hear and follow him. Second point about overcomers in the book of Revelation. Overcomers discern and hold on to God-given truth. Mm -hmm. They discern and hold on to God-given truth. They need to in the face of masterful delusion and unprecedented coercion. Ask for God's discernment. In other words, don't go after every pitch in life. Not every opportunity is for you. In the last half of the book of Revelation, we see unfolding a massive and and relentless spiritual and moral force that nearly overwhelms reality and truth with its deceptive pitches. Those who dwell on the earth encounter powerful spiritual, socio-political, cultural pressure from demonic forces attempting to fundamentally alter their sense of right and wrong with deceptive pitches. The only way to discern and hold on to God given truth is to follow the Lamb wherever He goes. Might I ask, how is your devotional time with Jesus? You know, the Bible says that there were times when Jesus would spend entire nights in prayer. And if Jesus spent an entire night in prayer, what about us? Second point overcomers discern and hold on to God given truth. Third point, overcomers choose right values and right associations. The book of Revelation in chapter 18 provides an incredible picture of fallen human civilization. It is religious but independent of God and blossoms for one last time as a splendid city called Babylon. Babylon has the wrong values and invites people into wrong associations and relationships. The city of Babylon depicts the horrific attempt to control political, religious, and cultural apparatus by a satanic power structure hinged on bringing a new level of pressure using consumerism as an ally, in addition to being a spiritual counterfeit attempting to deceive God's people, if that isn't bad enough, Babylon is then in part a world of luring people into wrong values and relationships that heavily includes buying and the selling of things. And this buying and selling becomes the ultimate value for those who live on earth. This transactional uh, theory or this uh, transactional idea Becomes of more value even than worshiping the God of heaven and keeping his commandments. Be careful how you spend what the Lord gives you. It is important to remember that the enemy uh, desires to ensnare us with debt so that when the time comes to support the cause of Christ, we are unable to do so because we are weighed down with debt. It is important to note how Revelation reveals that overcoming overcoming does not mean conquering Babylon. Rather, overcomers choose right values by coming out of Babylon. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins. The Lord does not want his people to participate in Babylon's sins. Rather, He calls them to be fundamentally different in character and in life. My friends, my brothers and sisters, we are not consumers, we are worshipers. Be careful, because consumerism has joined the church. Consumerism has made its way into the pews. The consumerist mindset has ensnared many Christians. Many value the ways of consumerism and wrongly apply it to church life. You see, consumers shop around. Consumers compare. Consumers give reviews. Consumers give financially based on whether the service they received met their expectation And if they didn't appreciate the service that they received, consumers will follow up with management to get the service rectified to their satisfaction. When a consumer-driven ideology gets adopted as theology, the saints get unholy expectations that were never ordained by God. And when this happens, expectations become unsanctified. Inevitably, somebody will be disappointed. The consumer's response to disappointment is complaint, boycott, or abandonment. And before we know it, if we're not careful, we've left our small group. We'll critique church services or leaders and may eventually even skip out on church. To make things worse, Christian leaders often fall into the trap of trying to cater to this consumerist mindset. Instead of Christ-centered goals and, and thus set the Lord, they focus on growth. Popularity, efficiency and in attaining influence or power. But Christians must remember that Jesus wasn't trying to be popular. That he promoted powerlessness. And that according to the standards of his day, he was frustratingly inefficient. In fact, he was sacrificial, humble, giving, and even forgave his enemies. Not exactly values that were attributed as great and that society. The best way, my brothers and sisters, of being Christ-centered is to actually imitate the life of Jesus. Can you say amen? Do you love your neighbor? Do you love your enemies? Are you taking care of the poor, helping the sick, empowering the downtrodden, fighting for justice, and reaching out to those who are on the fringes of society? Because these are the things that Christians do. We are not consumers. We are worshipers. Christians encourage and empower. Consumers complain and criticize. Christians sacrifice and forgive. Consumers hoard and hate. Christians work together. Consumers compete. Christians volunteer. Consumers take. Christians give generously. Consumers buy. Christians serve. Consumers obtain. Christians protect consumers destroy. Christians love people. Consumers love things and processes. Being a Christian is a brave and immensely sacrificial endeavor. The Christian life following Jesus is amazing, wonderful, and fulfilling, and it's also filled with pressure. God help us to choose the right values. We need to know that God is not for sale. Jesus cannot be bartered with, He is not a divine vending machine. A Holy Spirit experience cannot be pre-ordered on Amazon.com. God is sovereign. God is omnipotent. God cannot be flamboozled or talked over or around. He is not a president. He is a king. And when he speaks a word, that word does not duck and move around the universe. When he speaks, the universe moves around whatever it was that he said. Oh, may we know today that in him we move and breathe and have our being. God is able and nothing is impossible with God. Point number three, choose right values and right associations. And finally, we must overcome as Jesus did. We're talking about how, how to overcome. The word of God says in Revelation 321, Jesus speaking to him who overcomes. I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. We should not pass over the words as I also overcame too quickly. Here is the first time in the apocalypse where the saints overcoming and Christ overcoming are compared. There is more here than just overcoming. It is overcoming in the same way that Jesus did. The overcoming itself is not as important as the way in which individuals overcome or what they overcome. As one of Revelation's important transitional passages in chapter five, we find John's vision of the slaughtered lamb who overcomes in an astounding and unexpected way. John hears that the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered in 5 verse 5. But when he turns to look, he sees a lamb standing as if slain. He expected a powerful lion who tears his prey, but discovers instead a torn lamb. There is violence, but it is endured violence, not inflicted violence. Yet the lamb has conquered. It has displayed moral power rather than coercive power. The lamb's sacrificial death has redeemed people from all nations. Jesus the Messiah has won an incredible victory, but has done so by sacrifice, not by blunt control, force, or military violence. Jesus has conquered through the pressures of suffering rather than by human or divine might. This scene lies at the theological and thus ethical heart of the apocalypse. Jesus faced real intense pressures. He won from the position of suffering under pressure, overcoming in the way that he overcame. There is a reality, and that reality is that struggles are prerequisites to victory. There is no overcoming without a struggle. His own self-sacrificing victory turns out to be a way of being, in the world a model for believers he said as i also overcame meaning that there is no overcoming without pressure my family satan himself is defeated this way by the saints the book of revelation everywhere assumes and inserts that satanly actively wars against god's people so some might be thinking how could we overcome satan pastor if I might be in that group of the cowardly, the, the unbelieving, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, or the liars. Well, if you are in this category, there is good news for you today because Jesus made a way. The believers in Jesus Christ actually defeat both Satan and his accusations. And this is how they do it. In Revelation 12, 11, the Bible says, and they overcame him became the devil because of the blood of the lamb and because of the word of their testimony. This Sabbath, the word is that there is no victory without the blood of the lamb. They made it through the great tribulation and pressure because their robes came in contact with the blood. It's not that they started out perfect. It's that their lives were purified by the blood. Come on, somebody say amen. His blood washes away all the cantankerous. His blood washes away the double-mindedness, the double-tongued, the gossiping, the backbiting, the mutinous driven, the ugliness, the nasty attitude, the back-talking, the detestable, the trouble-making, the revolting, the despicable, the tyrant that we don't want anybody to see, but we see anyway, the unfaithful, the abusive, the hypocritical. His blood softens stony hearts, purifies repugnant minds, repairs damaged, corrupted, portified neural pathways, intercepts disgusting thoughts and horrific impulses. Their thoughts were made clean through the blood. Their tongues were sanctified in the blood. Their hearts were immersed in their blood their attitudes got checked by his blood their media watching got adjusted by his blood their intentions started being dripped in his blood and don't you know that they got clean oh there is supernatural cleansing in the blood it's better than tide come on somebody disgusting robes go into a red pool and come out as white as snow have you been immersed have you gone under there is a fountain filled with blood, drawn from Emmanuel's vein, and sinners, plunged beneath the flood, lose what? All their guilt and stain. Have you tried the blood? You've tried out the new Nikes, you've tried out the new pumps, you've tried the new contact lenses, maybe even you've tried a new job, you've tried a new hairstyle, you tried a new hair, a new diet, Maybe a new cell phone carrier. Maybe you tried a new car. Maybe you even tried a new salad dressing from Meyer. You tried everything else. Why not try the blood of Jesus? Oh, I'm so glad that Jesus understands that we can't make it on our own. Everything that we have today is because of the blood. There was never a plan B. It was always plan A, the blood of the Lamb. Can you say Amen. 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 My appeal today is a short appeal. If you would have, like to have the blood of Jesus cover you one more time, I'm just going to ask you to stand right where you are, and I want to offer a word of prayer for you. The blood of Jesus will never lose its power. God bless you. Every head is bowed and eyes are closed. Father in heaven, now we thank you for the blood of Jesus, the blood of the Lamb, who was slain before the foundation of the world. And we thank you, God, for your commitment and your love to us. Thank you for your promise that you will never leave or forsake us. Thank you, God, for applying the merits of the life of Jesus and the blood of Jesus over this prayer. We ask you, Lord, to help us. Help us to be more like Jesus. Help us to hang in there. Help us to be overcomers in this earth's final age. And now I pray, God, for your blessing over those who have stood, over those who now have committed their lives to Jesus Christ. Receive them in the name of Jesus. Seal their decisions by the power of the Holy Ghost. We love you, and we rededicate and dedicate our lives to thee. And we thank you for hearing and for answering this prayer that we're praying with thanksgiving and with faith. In Jesus' name, let all of God's people say amen, amen. and amen. You may be seated. You may be seated.